All right, as you uh, find in your places there, I'll just run through a couple of things in the bulletin. Uh, I didn't change any of the announcements from last week. The only changes uh, coming up this Wednesday, we're closing out the book of Genesis. And so we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 50. My plan, uh, we've been doing two chapters a week, kind of averaging that throughout the whole study in the book of Genesis. It's why at the end of this year, kind of starting uh, similarly, a 50-chapter book and a 22-chapter book, we're finishing up on the same week, the book of Revelation and the book of Genesis. And uh, we've been kind of just doing an overview through the book of Genesis, but I want to finish out chapter 50, and if time allows, we'll do a little review, some of the key figures that are introduced to us, and also uh, key things that are introduced to us in the book of Genesis. We've already studied it, but just a reminder, kind of a review as well. So instead of two chapters, one chapter and a review, and hopefully it'll work out. That's my plan. And I'm going to work toward that goal. That'll be Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. Next Sunday, Pastor Kevin will be presenting a message for Christmas. And so he'll have the pulpit next Sunday. And I'll be working with the radio station trying to get more Christmas music in. We're already 100% Christmas music, but I have more music to put in. We had a new automation system last year. And so... We went from a lot of Christmas music to not as much, and we'll get back to even more. I don't know if I'll get to a lot, but we'll get even more. New music, too. we got new artists that have new Christmas albums out, and so we'll be sharing that on the radio. Hope to get all that accomplished and share that. Look up uh, WLGS 101.5 FM Facebook, and you can share the live stream of our radio ministry or locally and just get people listening to WLGS. On the 19th, I'll be teaching. That'll be our last Sunday before Christmas. So that'll be the big Sunday in our sense. We're having a mega potluck that Sunday. There is a sign-up sheet on the lobby table, and the church will provide yummy ham. Some people don't like it, but I do. And uh, we'll have ham and we uh, will have other things as well, but there's a sign-up. So we'll have the main meat provided by the church, but if you want to bring a hot dog, you can do that. Feel free, or whatever you might have for a side. And the sign-up sheet is that we will have, we'll kind of know what we have, a balanced meal, uh, fruits and veggies and all that yummy stuff. Well, on the 19th, our mega potluck Sunday. So no potluck today. We do have fellowship time afterwards, though. And we invite you to join us. Normally, we have fellowship time. Normally, we have communion. We totally forgot about it. Dave, <laughs> we've been up here for, what, two hours, three hours already? And uh, totally forgot about communion. We'll do it that Sunday. We'll make it mega everything. Celebrate our Lord's birth. We'll have communion and uh a Christmas teaching. And a, a, just a reminder, again, for the newer people here at our church, we have not, we've tried a few times, but we have not customarily done a Christmas Eve or Christmas Day service. I just strongly feel personally that that is time that we can spend with our families. And I would encourage you, when you're with your families, to present the Christmas story on that 
Christmas Eve service when you're with your family before you open gifts, or maybe, uh, I called it a service, but you're gathering with your families on Sunday morning before you open gifts. In my house growing up, it was always Bible reading, always reflecting on Jesus. God's greatest gift to us prior to the little gifts that we might receive here on earth. So I would encourage you to do that. The week of Christmas, though, the 19th, the mega potluck, that Wednesday evening, we'll have a time of worship, of song, uh, Christmas carols, and uh, closing out with silent night, candlelight, do all that. Real candles. We actually get real wax on our floor, which is devastating sometimes, but maybe now we'll just hold, hold up our phones and do kind of the concert thing. Here, Lord, no, we'll do the candles still. Anyways, that will be our week of Christmas, and so I encourage you to kind of make note of that and just be in attendance, celebrate the birth of Christ, the great gift that the Lord gave to us by giving his only begotten son, and be a light, be a witness, a testimony to others. Well, we are closing out Revelation 22 today, and I'm going to say a prayer in a moment and ask God to bless our offertory, but I just want to say before we get into that, that we're closing out talking about the coming day of the Lord's second coming. There's a lot that happens with the Lord's second coming. When you compile all of the prophecies concerning the Lord's second coming, over 500 prophecies written in Scripture, it is minimum 1,007 years. So we're talking about a lot of time left, unlike those who would like to say there's only 30 harvests left on this earth or those who are talking about climate change and we only have 12 years. If we don't get things straightened out, uh, the earth is coming to an end. Well, God has written that it's not coming to an end. In fact, until after his son returns, he does say that the earth will be changed and that it will be changed like a cloak and that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. But that is not yet. So in Old Testament prophecies combined with New Testament prophecies, over 500, speaking about the Lord's second coming, here we are in the month of December, and we're going to celebrate the Lord's first coming. And so what a great way to begin the month of December by looking forward to our Lord and Savior's second coming, and then next week beginning to look back at his first coming. If it wasn't for his first coming, we would have nothing to look forward to because the Lord who came the first time promised that I will come again. And we're going to see that and actually we'll learn that it is to be the prayer of the church, the title of this passage, even so come. So I want to go ahead and open us in prayer. I do want to pray for the offerings given here at the church. We don't take a formal offering Pastor Chuck used to say, uh, don't say take because we don't take anything we receive. I slipped, sorry, Pastor Chuck, the founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, who's with the Lord in heaven looking down at me now saying, John, don't say take, okay, receive. Um, we don't pass or receive a formal offering here. We do have an agape box in the back. And the way times have changed a lot of people give online, they give through the website, they send a check through the mail, and we have the agape box for those who still want to give here at the church. And however you might give to the Lord, 
we want to pray for those gifts and pray for the teaching of God's word this morning. So, Father, we thank you for the gifts that you have given us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for the greatest gift in sending your son, who came not only as a babe in a manger, but he grew into a man, the perfect man, the only man who retained his perfection. Adam was and Eve were without sin in the beginning. But because of the fall, sin entered into humanity. But Jesus came that he might reverse the effects of the fall and pay the price of our sins, coming as a babe, growing to a man, but giving his life on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. But then after being buried three days later, rising from the dead, and Lord promising heaven to those who believe in him, the forgiveness of sin and becoming part of the family of God is the message of the gospel through faith in Jesus Christ. So we thank you for that. Lord, that you came, and also, Lord Jesus, that you are coming again. And Father, we pray for the gifts given to this fellowship. Lord, in a time when the world is really troubled in many different ways, over the last couple of years, Lord, you have provided for this fellowship in surprising ways, and we are grateful. We're grateful, Lord, for the provision that you have given us to accomplish the work that you've called us to here in Lake Villa, but also beyond. And we thank you, Lord, for those who have a heart to support this ministry. We pray, Lord, that you would bless the gifts given here for your glory. We ask in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, here we are in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter in the book of Revelation, the last chapter in the Bible. And last week we learned of an angel who had had one of the seven bold judgments of God. He came to John saying, Revelation 21, 9, come, I will show you the bride and the lamb's wife. And the lamb's bride, we learned, was seen in a vision as the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven. And it was not, as some commentators mistakenly have attributed the city, the new Jerusalem, as the Lamb's bride. It's actually the occupants of the city. Not the buildings, but the people who are the Lamb's bride. And of the people, as I view this, that would include the Old Testament saints that look forward to the Messiah's coming. It would also include those of the church age from the time of the book of Acts and the apostles first presenting the message of the gospel there on the day of Pentecost to the people all the way until this time and ultimately until the Lord returns for his church. It will include church age believers, but also those who will come to faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation or the tribulation saints. In chapter 21, we learned of the city of having great and high walls with 12 gates, three on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west, each gate made of one pearl, so pretty incredible in the building materials that we read about in Revelation 21. The New Jerusalem will have 12 foundations, each of the gates named after 
one of the tribes of Israel, each of the foundations named after one of the apostles of the Lord, 12 gates and 12 foundation stones. And once we make it into the city, I pointed this out last week, it's a common mistake for a lot of people in the book of Revelation, two common mistakes that I most often hear. First of all, they say, while I was studying the book of Revelations, although there are many revelations given, it's singular, it's the book of Revelation, but I often hear people say, Revelations, I'll correct you from the pulpit, I will not correct you, probably, if we're one-on-one, I'll just let it slide. But also, uh, streets of gold. We even had songs singing about the streets of gold, but it's singular in the Bible. It makes me think that there is a street in heaven that is so spectacular that there is nothing like it comparable on the earth. In fact, made of pure gold, as we will read, clear as crystal, with um, not only this boulevard, but um, the tree of life growing on both sides, the river of life, all flowing together with this one street. We also learned of the new heaven and new earth, the new Jerusalem, that there were a few things missing. Last week we closed out with this, that there would be no more sea, no death, no sorrow, no crying, no pain, no temple, no sun, no moon, no night, none that defile, none that causes abomination, and none that lie. Only those whose names are found written in the Lamb's book of life will occupy that city. And so today we look at Revelation chapter 22, and I titled this, Even So Come, just pulled the words right from the passage. That is to be the prayer of the church. Lord Jesus, even so, come. And we're going to have Let's see, how many points do I have? We have four points. There they are. Helpful to have my notes right here as well. And we're going to see the New Jerusalem, verses 1 through 5, the command, verses 6 through 11, the rewards and blessings, 12 through 15, and the testimony, 16 through 21. I'm going to go ahead and read our first point, verses 1 through 5, the New Jerusalem, and I'll get into the teaching of God's word. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, But the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads, and there will be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And so he's describing as he comes into the city, He's already, uh, in chapter 25, pretty much described the outside, walking up to the city. I remember in Jerusalem, and they prepared it to be so. We were there in Jerusalem, and they planned the trip to the city of Jerusalem to be at the end of the day, when the sun was just right in the sky. So we stopped in Jericho, 
And we would then from Jericho take the bus ride up to the city of Jerusalem. And it was timed that we could see the city that is made of limestone, pretty much limestone, which is either a bright white or a dull yellow. But when reflecting the light of the sun, it lights up. It's called the golden city. They wanted you to see the city lit up like gold as you approach the city. The only thing they did not plan was the overcast skies that we had that day as we drove up to the city of Jerusalem. And so we didn't see the golden city lighting up the way they had intended for us. But John was coming into the city. He told us about the high walls. He told us about the 12 gates. He told us about the names written on the gates, the 12 foundation stones, foundation stones and the names of the apostles written thereon. And now as he comes into the city, he continues to describe not only the street of gold, which he has previously mentioned, but now this pure river, the water of life, clearest crystal coming from the throne of God and of his Lamb. And concerning this water of life coming from God, in Psalm 36, 8, it tells us, they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house and you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. From God, God will give us drink one day. Sadly, many reject to drink of this water. As God spoke through Jeremiah, the prophet, when he said in Jeremiah 2.13, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The cisterns that can hold no water refers to the false religious systems that are found in this world. And there in Israel, this is how they kept water during the dry times. And if you've ever visited Israel, you'll discover that it is a very dry and arid climate. And for them to keep water to uh, have for their homes, to water their perhaps their Victoria gardens that they had around their houses, uh, they would hewn out cisterns from the limestone. In fact, there's an area in Israel that they have it mapped out because the area is so dangerous. They're called the area of the bell caves. And they discovered the danger once when their military was doing military maneuvers in this open field. And suddenly one of their soldiers disappeared. He just fell through. And what he fell through was uh, this what had once been someone's home and underneath the home they began to dig out underneath the house and they kept digging out they had this huge spiral staircase that kept extending outward and outward huge caves underground in fact it's so riddled with them they have it mapped out and they only allow you to walk in certain areas because you too might end up dropping through the earth somewhere where one of these hidden bell caves has been hewn out of the soil. Well, they would do this for their cisterns as well. And we saw examples of the cisterns there beneath their homes where they would store water. But the only problem, if there was a crack in the stone, it would leak out. And God said, you are making these cisterns that they leak 
They're the false religious systems. They can hold no water. And here I am, the water of life, and you have rejected me. In fact, regarding this water, Jesus said to the woman at the well in John 4, 13 and 14, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. This living water, the source of the living water coming from God the Father and God the Son. In the middle of the street, on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month and the leaves of the trees for the healing of the nations. So on this main boulevard in the New Jerusalem, there was this river connected with the street itself and on either side of the river, the tree of life. So it seems to describe a tree that is one tree with many outgrowths coming out of it. Not a singular tree, but many outgrowths of this tree that yields fruit every month. No tree upon this earth can compare to what John saw here in the New Jerusalem. The tree of life had unique qualities like it grows on either side of the river, one tree growing on either side of the river, the tree of life bearing 12 times a year, where we know that trees, more often than not, just bearing around here once a year. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. Now, I was looking at this. I was talking to my wife earlier before I left home to come to church, talking about this tree, and I, I noticed that different Bible translations basically have two different opinions on the tree itself. And it gives a sense for some. The new Holman Christian Standard Bible says that the tree bears 12 different kinds of fruits. And so one tree bearing 12 different kinds of fruits, whether a different fruit every month or every month, 12 different kinds of fruit coming from one tree, and that's how they translate it, one tree bearing 12 different kinds of fruits. And I, I kept looking at it. I looked into the uh, Greek New Testament as well. And I think what I believe, and I agree with Albert Barnes, uh, his Bible commentary, Barnes Notes on the Bible. He said this, the idea is that the tree bore every month in the year so that there were 12 fruit harvests. It was not like a tree that bears but once a year or in one season only, but it consistently bore fruit. It bore every month. The idea is that of abundance, not variety. The supply never fails. The tree is never barren. And so even before I read Barnes, this kind of just troubled me. I had my study ready Friday, but I always go over it on Sunday morning before I come to church. And I came to verse two and it's like, I don't think I have this verse right. I think it's saying something different than 12 different kinds of fruit. I believe what John is pointing out is what Barnes wrote is that it is a tree that is 
always bearing fruit, never barren, always available for us to eat. And then he says, God with us. In verse 3, he says, but there shall be no curse, but the throne of God, the Lamb shall be in it. His servants shall serve him. Verse 4, they shall see his face. His name will be on their foreheads. And Jesus, he came the first time to reverse the curse, the cause of sin that came upon humanity. Jesus paid the price of our sins. As Paul wrote in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in Revelation 3.12, he says to the church, he who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. And then what I wanted from this passage, Revelation 3.12, he concludes it saying, and I will write on him my new name. John testified that they had the name of God written on their foreheads. Jesus testified to the church, I will write on him my new name. Because of the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ, we who have believed in the work of Jesus Christ, received Jesus as our Savior, will one day gaze upon the face of God, gaze upon the face of Christ, the one who died upon the tree for our sins. And in this city, there'll be no need of a lamp or of the sun, as verse 5 says, there'll be no night there. No need for a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light and they shall reign forever and ever. There's no night because in God himself, the Bible says, in God, there is no darkness at all. There is no darkness. God is light. According to 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And yet we understand that in this world, John describes to us in his gospel in chapter 1, verse 5, that the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not comprehend it. The world did not comprehend the coming of Jesus Christ the first time. The light came, the Lord Jesus came. He shone into the world there in the Christmas season as we're celebrating this month. But the world itself, the majority of the world did not comprehend. Thankfully, the light of light shines upon all who believe in Jesus, whom Jesus said in John 8, 12, that I am the light of the world. And he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It is my prayer that you have the light of Jesus Christ in your life today. And that light comes to you through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, he gives a command. We read in verses 6 through 11. Again, I'll read for the context. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of this prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. 
And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of this prophecy, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. So the angel now reminds John that he has been shown this revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the title of this book given to us in Revelation 1.1, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Everything that John had seen from Revelation 1.1 until we get to Revelation 22, verse 21, these things are faithful and true. Moreover, the Lord God, who had spoke through the holy prophets, sent his angel to show John what would be in the latter days, the events of the latter days. And this is so important for us to realize that oftentimes in the Bible, the Bible will stand upon itself for its authority. And that's just to help us believe. It's not that God doubts in his word. He gave his word to us, but he will give us prophecy and because of fulfilled prophecies in the past the angel reminding John of the holy prophets who spoke for God in the past and the prophecies that came true in the past gives us assurance that the prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled in the future will be fulfilled because of the word of God because of the word that God has spoke and given to us in Hebrews 10, 7, it says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book, it is written of me to do your will, O God. The volume of the book, written of Jesus Christ. In the volume of the book, it is written of me. It's pointing to Jesus. The Word of God pointing us to Christ and the redemption thereby that comes only through faith in His name. And so the whole Bible reveals Jesus to us. In John 5:37, the Lord Jesus said, You have searched the scriptures, for in them you think that you have everlasting life. These are they that testify of me. To the religious rulers of his day, to the Jews of his day, you have searched the scripture, you think in the word of God you have everlasting life. And Jesus said to the religious rulers, and these are they that testify of me. It's a testimony of Jesus. Therefore, just as John had trusted the word of God, the prophecies of God's word that brought him to Jesus in the first place. Remember, John was one of the early apostles of Jesus Christ. John Although in the Gospel of John, he never uses his name. He refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. As you read through that, you get the sense that John was one of the disciples of John the Baptist. 
And so he heard the message of John the Baptist, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. He was preparing his heart for the coming Messiah. And once the Messiah came, he was with John the Baptist and Jesus came walking one day and John the Baptist said to the two disciples who were with them, one of them, I believe, being John, behold the Lamb of God. And John tells us from that day forward, they left John the Baptist to follow Jesus. So just as John trusted God's holy prophets, the word of God in times past, now he could trust the visions that were given to him here in the revelation of Jesus Christ. As I said, from Revelation 1.1 all the way to Revelation 22, verse 21. And now he prepares for the second coming, the testimony that I am coming quickly. In Acts 3.21, on the day of Pentecost, they testified these words, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. God has been speaking through his holy prophets since the beginning of the world. The problem with the world, they're not always listening. But since Jesus is coming soon, How should we conduct ourselves? As believers in Jesus Christ, we should keep the words of this prophecy that has been preserved for us here in the book of Revelation. Verses 8 and 9, it tells us, Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. Church, we need to hear those words today because we get distracted. In this world today, there are people within the church that they end up worshiping the leader of their church rather than worshiping the Savior of the church. We should never do that. We should be like this angel who plainly said to John, worship God. Don't worship an angel, although many do worship angels. Don't worship one of the prophets, although many worship the prophets of God. Don't worship those who keep the words of this book. To me, that's simply the true believers in Jesus Christ. Never worship a fellow servant. And the angel himself said that I'm just one of the fellow servants. I'm an angel, yes, but I'm a fellow servant like the holy prophets of God, like those who keep the words of this prophecy. We are all servants of God. Worship God. It's not the first time that John did this. He was overwhelmed. I think I can understand. He was just overwhelmed with the things that were being shown him. In Revelation 19.10, once again, John wrote, I fell at the feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do this. I am a fellow servant of the brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So John was just being overwhelmed again and again with these heavenly visions. And sometimes he would be so wiped out, he would fall down to worship, but he was worshiping the wrong person. And he was directed back to worshiping God. I believe that is an error in so many in our world today. 
There are those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're worshiping the wrong religion, uh, the false god, or an individual, a person, or a governmental system today. There are those who worship, they bow down at the, their knees to the government. In government we shall trust. will probably be written on our monetary system one day. But not those who truly know Jesus. John must be reminded that as a fellow servant of God, we are only to worship God alone. Takes us back to the Ten Commandments in Exodus 23. You shall have no other gods before me. The Lord testifies before the people. In Exodus 34:14, For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Notice that John's angelic tour guide referred to himself as a fellow servant, one of the brethren of the prophets, one of those who keeps the word of this book. So no matter whether an angel, a, a servant of Christ, a prophet of God, a preacher, a teacher of God, an evangelist, we are to worship God and God alone and the Lord, his Savior, Jesus Christ. In verse 10, it tells us, do not seal the words of this prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. Now, this is interesting because it is an interesting study to go through the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel around the same time. The book of Daniel, you get into chapters 7 through 12. It's very prophetic. And twice in the book of Daniel, at least two times, I have one written down in my notes here, but it's also found in Daniel chapter 12 as well, that Daniel is told to seal up the words of the prophecy because it is not for this time. Daniel, Daniel 8:26, seal up the vision for it refers to many days in the future. But John is told, don't seal up the book because the time is at hand. Now we're thinking, all right, Pastor John, been about 1900 plus years and what do you mean the time is at hand because a lot of time has went by but we need to remember that in God's calculation that a day is as a thousand years so as far as God is concerned it's only been a couple of days church the time is still at hand but also 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. This should give us such hope. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. If the Lord is delaying its coming, it's because he knows that the church is going to grow. New believers are still going to believe in Jesus Christ. And until that Lamb's book of life is filled from front to the end, cover to cover, then the Lord will wait until he comes. But in verse 11, he says... He who is unjust, let him still be unjust. He who is filthy, let him remain 
filthy. He who is righteous, let him be righteous. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And so we have a contrast here of believers and unbelievers. The unbelievers will continue in their in being unjust and being filthy. The believers are to continue in righteousness and holiness. But it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be conformed into the image of Christ, that we can be righteous, that we can be holy. The Lord is coming. He's coming with his rewards and with his blessings as we read in verses 12 and 13. The Lord Jesus speaking, saying, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus reminds John here of his soon return, and he says, I'm coming, and my reward is with me. In Isaiah 40, verses 10 and 11, the word of God tells us, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him. I pointed this out because um, we have in this phrase, my reward is with me, messianic overtones. We find it there in Isaiah 40, verse 10. The very same phrase, my reward is with me. And his work is before him. At that time, at the writing of Isaiah 40, verse 10, Jesus' work was before him. His work was the cross. And he has accomplished that work upon the cross. So now, all that remains is his reward. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, And he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather his lambs with his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. Now having already paid the price of our sin, he does not have his work before him any longer. But now he comes, when he comes, he says, my reward is with me. In Matthew 16, 27, Jesus testified, for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. My reward is with me. In the context of the book of Revelation at this point, the unjust has already been judged. They've been cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Here's something that people don't, many people don't get on this earth. They think when we die, that's it, it's over. Even if they believe in Christ or not, for many, they think once you're dead, you're dead. That faith in Christ in this life is all we get. And in fact, in Corinthians, Paul said, if only we believe in Christ in this life, we are of most men most pitiable. No, we believe in him not only for now, but for future glory as well. But what the Bible does teach, that everyone will live forever, it depends on the destination. Some will live unto everlasting life, some will live unto everlasting judgment. In the context of this book, those who have been judged as unbelievers are already in the lake of fire. And so now he comes to give reward to his church. In the New Testament speaks of several crowns that we will receive as believers. 
In the New Testament, 2 Timothy 4.8 speaks of a crown of righteousness. 1 Corinthians 9.25, of an imperishable crown. 1 Thessalonians 2.19, a crown of rejoicing. 1 Peter 5.4, the crown of glory. James 1.13, the crown of life. And Jesus said, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, the first and the last. And it's he who bore the Stephanos crown, that crown of thorns upon the cross, has now made available many crowns to his church. He says, my reward is with me. And so by referring to his eternal nature as the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, we can be assured that everything that God has prophesied will one day come to be. The Lord God said through his prophet Isaiah once again in chapter 44, verse 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. Yet Jesus said in John 10:30, I and my Father are one. God the Father and his Lamb, God the Son, the Lamb will be there in the new Jerusalem at the throne of God. Proceeding from the throne of God will be this water of the river of life. And he will bless those, saying, verses 14 and 15, Blessed are those who do his commandments that they might have a right to the tree of life, that they may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, he, whoever loves and practices a lie. So we might think, what are the commandments of God? And for many of us, the first thing that might come to our mind are the Ten Commandments. But the Apostle John wrote in 1 John 3.23, and this is the commandment that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave commandment. This is the commandment of God, that we should believe on the name of Jesus Christ, that we should also love one another. Believe in Jesus, love one another. Makes it kind of simple, doesn't it? Don't have the list of 10 to run through our head. It's in the morning. It's like all right, one to ten. Which one is this? Believe in Jesus. Love one another. If we could operate and function with those two things, John said, "This is the commandment of God." Now we understand that God did not want Adam and Eve to eat of the tree of life in their fallen state. Once they took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, once sin entered into humanity. God said, we need to put them out of the Garden of Eden, lest they should grab hold of the fruit of the tree of life, which would mean that they would have ate of the tree of life, gaining eternal life, but having an eternal sin nature. And God said, this will not do. Best I put you out of the garden. I have a better plan. I will send my son to be a sacrifice for your sin. But now that sin has been done away with, now that Jesus Christ had paid the price of our sin, now those who come to faith in Jesus Christ are able to freely eat of the tree of life. And those who do not believe, they are found on the outside. As I said, in the context of the whole vision 
They've already been cast into the lake of fire, but John reads it this way to us. The dogs, and that's a horrible thing. Even in John's day, it was a bad thing to be called a dog. To this day, nobody wants to be called a dog. You dirty dog. Nobody wants to be called that. The dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, those who love and practice a lie, they cannot enter in nor eat of the tree of life. This is because they already have their eternal dwelling. It's there in the lake of fire. But those who believe in Jesus will have the right to eat of the tree of life. I love fresh fruit picked from the tree when it's in their season. An apple tree around here, a peach tree, plum tree in my yard, a little sour, so I'm not digging on that one too much. But uh, it's really nice to get it right when it's off the tree. It's fresh, right in its prime. You know, we go to the grocery stores. They do their best, but a lot of that fruit's been picked. Obviously, it has to be. It's in advance. It's coming from often from other nations. It's flown in. It's shipped in. But can you imagine one day, it's really, I can pick from this fruit. I get to eat of the tree of life. Have at it. What a day that will be. So the spirit and the bride. In verse 16 through 21, we finish out reading the context. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you. These things in the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. And whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. And he said, verses 20 and 21, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So Jesus had sent his angel to reveal the last days, these prophecies to John, who at the time was a prisoner on the Isle of Patmos. And I believe, and I spoke about this early on as we began our study in the book of Revelation, that God needed to get John away from the a busy life of doing ministry and serving the church, sat him on an island where he was by himself, that he would have time not only to receive the vision, but to write the words of this prophecy in the book that we have. And regarding the roots and the offspring of David, uh, this really in some sense goes back to Psalm 110 verse 1, where we find the root and the offspring of David. The root speaks about from whom David had come. But the offspring speaks about one who came from the lineage of David. So I am both the roots, David comes from me. I am also the offspring, I come from David. How could this be? 
Jesus talked to the religious rulers about this in his day. He was referring to Psalm 110, verse 1, which, by the way, is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament that's found in the New Testament. It is quoted a lot in the New Testament. So Jesus asked this question, Matthew 22, verses 43 through 45, How then does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my servant, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? How can he be both his Lord and his son? How can he be both? Well, the mystery is, is that Jesus is both the root and the offspring of David. That David coming as the root of David, it speaks about Jesus' divine nature, that through Jesus all things were made. According to Colossians 1, 16 through 17, by him all things were created that are in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones, dominions, or principalities, or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the root. All things come from Christ. But he's also the offspring, reminding us of Jesus' humanity, born of the lineage of David. Romans 1, 3 tells us, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh. As far as Jesus being the bright and morning star, he said to the church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, verses 28 and 29, he says, And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I will give him the morning star. This title, morning star, only used once more in the book of Revelation, found here in Revelation 22:16. Jesus then being the bright and morning star. And only once in the Old Testament, I checked it again. It's like, is this correct? Only one time in all of the Old Testament is Jesus referred to as the star, a star. And it is. It's, in fact, if you uh, look for the word star in the Old Testament, it's only found twice. And one time referring to Christ. In Numbers 24, 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. It's the only place that there in the Old Testament, Jesus being described as a star. But we come to the New Testament at the time of the advent and the first coming of Jesus Christ. The wise men, what did they say? We saw his star. We saw his star. So the spirit and bride, verse 17, they respond by saying, come. And then the testimony, he who hears, say, come. Let him who thirsts, come, who desire to drink of the water of life freely. Not only will we get to eat from the fruit of the tree of life and the leaves that are made for the healing of the nations, but we'll get to drink from the water of life. So the invitation to come. In John 1, 37 and 39, or through 39, the two disciples that are referred to earlier, John 
the apostle of John and Andrew, his brother, following Jesus Christ, when they walked up on Jesus, John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God. And from that point forward, John says, they followed Jesus. And when they first approached Jesus, Jesus turned around and said to them, What do you seek? I don't think they knew what to say. They said, uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? And all Jesus said to them is, come and see. The invitation to come. Come, Lord Jesus. That should be the invitation that we have as well to invite others to come to know Jesus Christ, but also to pray that Jesus would come soon. As believers through the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we have this invitation that we can give to others, that they would come that they also might drink of the water of life freely. In John 7, 37 and 38, Jesus said, If anyone thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. He who believes in me, as Scripture says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But the warning, the testimony here, verses 18 and 19, I testify to everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in the book. If anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and the Holy Spirit. The warning, uh, the danger of tampering with the book of Revelation. I try my best to get things right. If I do mess up, it's not intentional. I want to get it right because I don't want the prophecies of this book, the bad things written here. I don't want any part of that. I don't want to be removed from the Lamb's book of life. I don't want any part of that. There is this warning to not tamper with the book. So there's an author, I've mentioned him a few times, that wrote a book, he simply titles it The Book of Revelation. It was written by Clarence Larkin. It was published in 1909. And in the introduction to this book, he wrote these things concerning the book that he had compiled together. There is nothing fantastical in this book. My wife would say fantastical. Is that a word? I'm, I'm just reading after Clarence. In 1909, it was a word. Whether it's a word today or not, we'll find out. It contains no speculative matter, nor opinions of the writer. The book is not a commentary made up of copyists or compiler. The only author the writer has sought to follow is the author of the book, the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the writer lays no claim to originality. All he has sought to do is to clearly present the mind of Christ as revealed in this book, having in the mind the curse to which every expositor of this book subjects himself to. And so Clarence Larkin says, when I wrote my book on the commentary, he didn't even call it a commentary on the book of Revelation. He said, I kept in mind verses 18 and 19 of Revelation chapter 22. And it would be good for every preacher, every teacher, every evangelist and speaker, every believer in Jesus Christ to heed the warnings of not to mess with the word of God. Just present what the word says. Stand upon the word and let us rise and fall. It shouldn't matter. 
verses 20 and 21. The testimony, surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And so the Lord saying once again, I'm coming quickly in the church's response, the Spirit's response, even so come, Lord Jesus. That should be the prayer of the church today. And John closes with the final blessing. And the grace of Christ be with you all. This reminds us of the threefold blessing of the book of Revelation. When we began our study in Revelation chapter 1, verse 3, we learned, Blesses he who reads those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. At the beginning of this revelation, John reminds us the time is near. At the end of the revelation, John reminds us the time is near. And it is only because of the grace of Christ that we can be part of the family of God. And may it be that we would come to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that we might drink from the water of life freely, that we might eat from the tree of life. Can I have more than one piece, Lord? Yeah, go ahead, have at it. All right. It'll be refreshed every month. Next time you come back, it'll be fresh again. Don't worry about it. I can't wait. I hope that you can't wait as well. Let's go ahead and stand as we close out in prayer as Dave comes to lead us in worship. Father, we thank you for your word and that you have given us here in Revelation uh, this whole study, Lord, closing out the study on this first Sunday of December. Next week, Lord, we will concentrate on your first coming when you came as a babe in the manger. But right now, Lord, we close out the beginning of the month looking at your future second coming when, Lord, you set in motion the events of the last days. And I believe, Lord, they're already set in motion. But, Lord, you haven't returned for your church yet. There hasn't been the time of tribulation. We have not yet seen the millennial reign of Christ. There are many more things that you have in store for this world and for your church. So, Father, help us until those days to not only pray as the church, Lord, come, come quickly, but also, Lord, that we would serve you until you come each day of our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.